Welcome to our Bible study this week. We're back to Philippians and Philippians chapter 3. We're just going to look at a couple of verses each day. Uh, So do take time to read all of the chapter. Uh, We're going to be looking from verse 1 to verse 6, but concentrating on verse 3 today. And we're thinking about the whole idea of confidence confidence that we can have in our daily lives i don't know where you put your confidence there are all sorts of places we can put our confidence in like savings uh, in the bank being confident that we've got enough to see us through any particular problems that we have maybe we put our confidence in our health and as long as we keep healthy then we're fine for the days ahead or maybe it's our friends we put confidence in our friends our family who stick by us will see us through will help us in the hard times and perhaps since coronavirus and the lockdown uh, we've looked more carefully at where we put our confidence and we find that some of the things that we thought would see us through aren't as sure as they once were and other things have perhaps surprised us about where our confidence can be. Paul has an awful lot to say about confidence in uh, Philippians and indeed in verse 3 of chapter 3 that we're going to look at today and we're looking at the overall theme of having joy once again and we're having joy today, joy in Jesus not the flesh, putting our confidence in Jesus Christ, as Paul says here, and not in the flesh, putting our confidence in things spiritual rather than in earthly things. And Paul here, as he talks about confidence and as he talks um, about putting it in Jesus Christ rather than in the things of the world, he He starts off by identifying his heritage. He starts off by identifying himself as one of the circumcision. In other words, he is a Jew and he is a Jew of the highest order. He is looking at himself and he's saying, where can I put my confidence in life? And it's in his heritage. It's in the way he was brought up. It's in the way that he's lived his life. He is a Jew who has been circumcised. And then... As he thinks about that, he realises, well, that's not really where I find my confidence. My confidence is actually in in Jesus Christ. My confidence is in worshipping by the Spirit of God. And it's in that whole area that he puts his confidence. It's not in the way he was brought up or the way he's lived his life. It's in what he's doing with his life here and now. And it is all centred around worship And it's centred around the Spirit of God and Jesus Christ as well. No confidence in the flesh, but confidence in these spiritual things. And he says that he puts his confidence in these things and doesn't put his confidence in the flesh. But he goes on to say that, well, if I were to put my confidence in the flesh... Well, I would have every reason to do so, though I myself have reasons, he says, for such confidence. And if anyone else thinks that he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, Paul then makes a startling claim, I have more. He's saying that whatever you may think in your life that you have confidence in, Paul says, I have much, much more. 
And he goes through and he lists the things in his life that he would have relied upon before he met Jesus. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. There was absolutely nothing wrong with the way that he was brought up as a Jew. In fact, he was one of the best Jews because not only was he circumcised on the eighth day, he was from the people of Israel, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was the elite. He then goes on to look at the way that he's lived his life in regard to the law, he says. He was a Pharisee. He kept the law, every single little bit of it. As for zeal, he says, I went about persecuting the church. And at the time, that was something he was proud of because the church he saw as attacking the Jewish nation and so he was going out to attack the church. As for legalistic righteousness and faultless, he he was faultless, he says. So in all these ways, Paul is saying, I could place my confidence, but... That's not where he's putting his confidence. That's not where he's finding his joy. He is finding it in Jesus Christ and puts no confidence in the flesh. Now this confidence that Paul has is not arrogance. It's really assurance. Paul is sure about Jesus. Jesus is not going to let him down. He has joy in Jesus Christ, not in the things of the world. The things of the world are temporary and fickle, but Jesus is lasting and sure. So take a moment and consider where you have put your confidence. Coronavirus lockdown has been an opportunity to reevaluate. So what is important? What will see us through? We need to put our confidence in Jesus. We need to find our joy in Jesus, not in the flesh. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, that we can have confidence in him. Help us to trust him more, to find joy in him. Amen. As we continue in Philippians today, we once again are searching for joy and we find joy in gaining Christ. There's some people in life who love a nice neat set of accounts, everything clearly set out with income and expenditure clearly separated on the spreadsheet. There are others, of course, who detest keeping accounts and receipts are just piled up in a box and everything is left to the last possible moment before sorting out. The Apostle Paul in the section of the letter to the Philippians that we come to today appears to keep a neat and tidy set of accounts. He's not working so much with figures and amounts but he is looking at his life and he's making evaluations. He has two columns, one for profit and one for loss. Many people work such a system in their lives. They ask themselves about everything that happens. Will this add to my enjoyment of life Or will it detract? Is this something I want to do or something I don't want to do? Will this advance my career or is it a waste of time? But as Paul considers profit and loss, he has a complete shift in his perceptions. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. And what is it that has changed this perception? Well, it is for the sake of Christ. Paul's relationship with Jesus has changed everything. It's turned his life upside down. And that is what Jesus does. 
Paul realises that it isn't just a reversal of profit and loss. When he looks at the two columns, there is only one thing under profit and everything else has been shifted across to the losses column. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing Jesus is all that is important to Paul. As we often sing in the hymn, Knowing you, Jesus, all I once held dear, built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own, all I once thought gain, I have counted loss, spent and worthless now, compared to this. Paul has lost everything in his life. He says in verse uh, at the end of verse 8, For whose sake I have lost all things. But that doesn't matter because in reality, Paul realises that everything that he has lost is actually rubbish. I consider them rubbish. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. Lockdown is a good time to reevaluate life, to sort out priorities. So why not take a moment and tidy up your accounts? Write knowing Jesus in the profit column and then see if you can genuinely put everything else under losses. There may be a few things that you're reluctant to consider a loss or rubbish, but it's a good starting point to see where we are in our relationship with Jesus. And then pray the words of that hymn. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Now my heart's desire is to know you more, to be found in you and known as yours, to possess by faith what I could not earn, all surpassing gift of righteousness. Amen. Yesterday we sorted out our accounts. Everything is a loss compared to gaining Christ. And we began to consider what it means to know Jesus. So today we're finding joy in knowing Christ from verses 10 and 11. So let's consider knowing Jesus in a little bit more depth today. It's very difficult to get to know someone properly. We have discovered in recent days when we examine the lives of historical figures, they've perhaps been celebrated for one aspect of their character and then we discover a darker, more troubled side to them. So, for example, statues are being reevaluated when someone's acceptance of slavery is now unacceptable. But this also applies to nearly anyone that we meet. There are parts of our character that are popular and well-known, and there are other parts that most people don't know anything about. Sometimes the more you get to know someone, the more you discover that you don't like about them, as well as all the things you do like. Many people find this with Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting for one moment that there are parts of Jesus' character that we should be ashamed of. That's not what I'm saying. But there are certainly parts of Jesus that we may not be comfortable with. 
Paul tackles this head on in verses 10 and 11. Everyone likes a Jesus who can heal the sick, who can walk on water, who can stand up to authority. But what about a Jesus who points out our sin? Paul says he wants to get to know even the difficult bits about Jesus. He wants to get to know the resurrection. He wants to get to know about the sufferings. He wants to get to know about the death. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. These are not the pleasant things. But these get to the heart of what Jesus is all about. The true power of Jesus is not in the miracles while he lived on earth. The true power comes when he suffers because of our sin. When he is crucified, hanging on a cross, bearing the sin of the world. When he is dead and buried in our place and then rises again. It is the power of resurrection that makes all the difference. Jesus conquers death. He defeats sin. He has the victory. And joy only comes through knowing Jesus. Indeed, knowing everything about Jesus, even the difficult bits. And Paul realises that joy comes not just from knowing about these things in Jesus, but by entering into them, by becoming by sharing in fellowship in the death of Jesus Christ, by becoming like Jesus in his death, to be crucified with Jesus, to put to death the old life and accept the new life, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is where joy is found, knowing that this world is not all there is, knowing that Jesus is coming back again and we will be resurrected to be with him. This is where the power truly is. So take a moment today to get to know Jesus better, but not just the nice stories. Spend a moment meditating on his suffering, on his death, his resurrection, to become like him this day. Let us pray. Lord, we want to know Jesus, but we realise that means entering into his suffering and his death. We thank you for the victory won on the cross, the forgiveness of sins and the promise of resurrection. Amen. What is your purpose in life? What is the main goal that you hope to achieve in your lifetime? Is it to do with your job? You've got a plan. There's a certain level that you'd like to get to. Is your plan perhaps a lot simpler now? Going to spring clean the spare room or get the garden sorted out by the end of the summer? Whatever goals we set ourselves, it is all too easy to get distracted like the author who is writing a book and they will do nearly anything but sit down and write. 
During lockdown, there has been a historian who is often interviewed from his study at home, and one of the presenters commented that he must have the neatest bookshelves of anybody that they've spoken to. He confessed that he would be better off if he spent more time writing instead of tidying his shelves. He was doing anything but what he was supposed to be doing. He was getting distracted. Paul says that his goal is to know Christ, to be like Christ, and to be everything that Jesus wants him to be. This goal absorbs all of Paul's time and energy. Knowing Jesus is not something that happens by accident. It requires effort on our part. We need dedication. And so Paul today is finding joy in pressing on and keeping going towards the goal, not being distracted. Many just expect their faith to work straight out of the box. But Paul, considering where he is, realises that it's all very well saying that you want to know Jesus better. But he says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He hasn't got the full knowledge of Jesus that he wants in his life. So he's seeking Jesus, but he wants more of Jesus. This is Paul, the writer of most of the New Testament. And yet he himself doesn't think he's attained this goal that he is pushing himself towards. But he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Paul knows what needs to be done to attain his goal and he is prepared to do it. Paul had reason to forget what was behind. He had persecuted the church. He had held the coats of those who had stoned Stephen. We've all done things for which we're ashamed and we know what we would like our lives to look like and yet we know the reality. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, Paul says, and any one of us could say that today. But because our hope is in Christ, we can let go of past guilt and look forward to what God will help us become. Don't dwell on your past. Instead, grow in the knowledge of God by concentrating on your relationship with him now. Realise that you are forgiven for what has happened in the past and then move on to a life of faith and obedience. Paul looks ahead in Christ. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. In Christ Jesus. This is a helpful example for us. We should not let anything take our eyes off our goal. That goal of knowing Jesus Christ. With the single mindedness of an athlete in training. We must put aside everything harmful. And anything that may distract us from being effective Christians. So take a moment to consider what may be holding us back, what may be distracting us from finding joy in pressing on with Jesus towards the goal. And let's pray. Lord, forgive us when we are distracted from you. 
Help us to press on toward the goal, to win the prize for which you have called us in Jesus Christ. And help us find joy in knowing Jesus. Amen. We come to the end of our study in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 20 and 21. And we're going to find our joy is in heaven today. But where do you come from? It's a revealing question to ask someone. I know it's no longer politically correct to judge someone on where they live. And there are always exceptions to the rule. But sometimes you can tell an awful lot about someone because of where they come from. Oh, you come from Balamina. You must be decent, trustworthy, if perhaps a little careful with your money. Oh, you come from Liverpool. You must have a great sense of humour or be very musical. Oh, you come from Bangor. And so it goes on. There are certain stereotypes that you may fulfil when you come from a certain place. And Paul reminds the Philippian Christians in verse 20 that they are not to identify with Philippi. Instead, they are to identify with heaven. But our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Citizens of a Roman colony were expected to promote the interests of Rome and maintain the dignity of the city. In the same way, citizens of heaven ought to promote heaven's interests on earth and lead lives that are worthy of heavenly citizenship. Too many Christians have failed to transfer their citizenship to heaven. They still seek earthly pleasures and treasures instead of heavenly ones. And Paul told the Philippians to remember that they are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We only find joy whenever we are living as citizens of heaven. We only find joy in heaven. Those who try to get comfortable here on earth will fail. They'll be unsettled. They will always be yearning. But true joy comes from accepting where our home should be. Paul has already said in this chapter that he wants to know the power of the resurrection. And he returns to that power and explains what it means. Jesus by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Lowly bodies here does not imply any negative attitude towards the human body. However, the bodies that we will receive whenever we're raised with the dead will be glorious, like Christ's resurrected body. Those who struggle with pain and physical limitations can have the wonderful hope in resurrection that these things will disappear, will be made new and have a new life. Our true joy will be realised in heaven, but we find joy on earth right now by living as citizens of heaven. It's not that we try and fit into earth so that we will have joy. 
No, we live the way that we would in heaven and that brings us joy in Christ. Take a moment and consider, have you transferred your citizenship? How are you promoting heaven's interests here on earth by the way you live? When someone looks at your life, do they see someone who is very comfortable in this world? Or someone who is longing for the world to come? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us transfer our citizenship from this world to heaven. Help us to live each day praying for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.